If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Proverbs chapter 1. That's, that's where we're going to be this morning. Um, it was supposed to be a Greg up here, actually, uh, this morning, but he went and got himself the COVID, um, so I, I, got, I got the call. Um, and so, uh, as I said, we're in Pro- Proverbs chapter 1. Now, I've been uh, on Facebook now for about 16 years, um, and that's almost the entire time. And, and for some people in the room, I understand, you're like, man, you predate COVID, you're like there was life or predate Facebook like you predate that man you're you're old and I'm just gonna say if you grew up in the 90s the 90s was the best time to grow up it was just a solid solid time now the thing I want to talk about Facebook is like usually almost every day I get a notification that says this you have memories to look back on today and so I click that that little red um, indication and I see these things that have happened through the years. And so I see some sweet memories of, of Shannon and I. I. I see some ones of the kids, of, of family and friends. And you're like, ah, oh, that's sweet. Thank you, Facebook, for reminding me of that. But then there's times I'm like, Facebook, why did you drag this back up? Like, there's memories. It's like, hey, remember this? And I'm looking and I'm going, it's so embarrassing. Like, please don't remind me of that time in my life. Not that it was like, wrong, morally wrong. It was just flat out embarrassing. You're just going like, why did I ever post it? And, and you, you kind of look at it, and I, I know some people are like, what are, you, what are you talking about? But it's like, I can see in the early years that I desperately wanted Facebook to be like the new veneration of um, MSN Messenger. I was just like, we're going to keep doing this. Like, here's my status. James is eating toast. <laughs> what are you doing? James is feeling happy. Like, I'm going, I wish I knew what Facebook was going to become or what it was intended to be back then. I wish I understood more. And there's times in life where I think we can agree with the great philosopher of our time, Rod Stewart, when he says, I wish I knew what I know now when I was younger. And maybe you look back at a a hairstyle that you're like, man, this is pretty awesome. And you thought it back then, and you look back now, and you're going, like, why did I ever do that? Maybe you look at some fashion choices you made and you're going, I thought it was so cool and now I'm just like filled with regret that I ever wore that. Now Terry, Terry Pratchett, he said this, wisdom comes from experience. Experience is often a result of a lack of wisdom. And maybe that's kind of true in your life. Maybe there's something you're looking at right now and you're going, I wish I had more wisdom to know what to do. What's the right way to proceed with this at this time? And today we're kicking off our, our series in, in Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs, it kind of falls into the category of wisdom literature. And is one of my favorite books of the Bible because it's practical. It, it's relevant um, to, to almost all times. Now, before we kind of start, I want to say this. Pro, uh, Proverbs, they're not promises. They're not prophecies. They're not cause and effect formulas, but they're basically this. It's a general observation about life that usually is true, and there can be some exceptions. So like here, here's a modern day proverb. If you go to the DMV at lunchtime, you will wait a long time. And it's, it's, it's kind of like this. It's, it's this observation that during the lunch hour, that tends to be when the, the DMV is busiest. Now, one day you could go to the DMV, and it's like there was nobody there. I just like walked right up, renewed my license easily, and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't difficult, no wait. And I go, okay, that's, a, that's an exception to kind of the general trend that we observed. But usually, again, Proverbs, are, it's like here, here's what's usually true in life. 
Now, the goal or the purpose of the book of Proverbs is found in chapter 1, verses 2 to 6. And so the writer says, For learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion to a young man. Let a wise person listen and increase in learning. Let a discerning person obtain guidance. For understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. And so if we were to kind of go like, let's put this in modern day language. What, what's it saying? It's like, are you tired of being the least intelligent person in the room? Do you go like, I, I hate when I have to say, I don't get the joke. Or I don't understand what they're talking about. Do you want to stop being so naive and, and, and being taken advantage of? Do you want to be a generally successful person in life? Do you want to take charge of your life instead of allowing somebody else to, to kind of call the shots and run it for you? Do you want to have more wisdom than you have now? Well, if you answered yes to any of those, the book of Proverbs is going, there, there's something that you can learn here in this book. There's something here that you might need And so the point of verses 2 through 6 is is this. Anyone can learn something from Proverbs. Now imagine what would happen if you developed each of these characteristics, or some of them there, like wisdom, understanding, discernment, discipline. Um, And Proverbs is intended to help you develop those things and gain insight into the world. And so there's advice for young men and women who are just kind of starting out in life. So kind of speak to the young crowd. So it's like, you're, you're going like, uh, what am I going to do for schooling? What am I uh, going to do for a career? Maybe you're starting off in that career. Maybe it's like, what, what am I going to do in regards to relationships? What am I going to do in regards uh, to a family? How am I going to parent my kids and those things? Proverbs is intended to give you kind of um, guidance in in making wise decisions with discretion and knowledge. You can learn the right thing to do, how to live with discipline. Now, there's people in every time and place and culture that we we just kind of go, man, they don't have common sense. Like every time a a, a decision comes up to be made, they just seem to make the wrong one every time. And you're like, it was blatantly obvious you should have done the other thing. And they go, I'm just going to full steam into the thing that's obviously not the intelligent thing to do. And like you're going, "Can, can they be helped? And the book of Proverbs was going, yeah, actually, they can be helped. There's teaching for the simple and naive, those who lack judgment, who are easily persuaded, immature, or inexperienced. That the Proverbs is going, you can learn, learn good judgment. You can learn good sense. Now, there's an opportunity also for those of us who might be a little bit older to learn in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 9, verse 9 says, Instruct the wise, and he will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and he will learn more. And so Proverbs is going, regardless of how old you are, you can learn something. It's aimed at kind of the young, the, the uninstructed, but it's also going, nobody's too old, nobody's too wise to learn something. And so we're, we're, we're going to have a little fun here. Raise your hand if you just kind of accept and understand that you're young, you're inexperienced, and you have plenty to learn. Like, it's safe place. You can raise your hand. It's, it's all right. Now, just keep it up there, actually, for a second. All right. I could say this, even if you're, you've got a few more gray hairs, a few more years under the belt, and you go, I've got some wisdom, I've learned some things, but you're also going, there's things that I could still learn. 
Raise your hand if you fall in there. Again, safe, safe place. All right. And then I can say this. Who's simple? Who's naive? Who lacks wisdom? Who constantly make, is making dumb choices and needs guidance? And, and if that's you, you can raise your hand. Now, here's the thing I'm going to say. Every hand in this room better be up because you're lying to yourself if, if your hand's not up. Like, there's something here for you that all of us can use wisdom and guidance in some area of our lives. Because here's the thing. We're, we're fallen. We're sinful. None of us have yet lived the perfect day where, like, I nailed it. I made every decision absolutely correct. That God is looking at you like, well done with this day. Like, there's areas in which you've messed up almost every day. Now, here's the thing. Like, I'm 36, and there, there's times where I'm going, like, I thought at this point in my life I would be further down the road in, in knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Um, and I can remember being an early teen and going, okay, I, I understand I don't know everything, but maybe when I'm like 18 or 19, that's, that's when it really comes, right? And, and for a few years there, I thought I probably did. It's like, I got this whole world and life thing figured out. But then you kind of like get there and you're going, I like maybe, maybe it's into your 20s that you understand a bit more. And you hit 25 and you're like, oh, maybe it's when you turn 30, it's just like it clicks and you get it. And midway through my 30s, I'm going like, I'm making this up as I go a lot of the time, doing the best I can. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because it's probably true for a lot of us in some ways. That for every person in this room, there's, there's an area or two at least where you're struggling and you're going, I don't have this completely figured out. You know and feel that you aren't what you should be. You know you're not where you want to be. That you could be somewhere else. You could be something else. Now, for, for the Christians in the room, Proverbs can help in your sanctification as well. This process of, of you becoming more like Jesus in your everyday life. And so you, you, you are justified by the work of Christ on the cross. That, that Christ paid for your sins on the cross, and if you accept him as Lord and Savior, that God goes and he gives you, he credits Christ's righteousness to your account. But here's the thing. Even if God declares you righteous, and that's how he sees you, you also know that the way you're living isn't totally in line with the way that God sees you. That, that like, God sees you as holy and righteous, but you, the way you're living isn't completely there. And Proverbs comes along and says, but I, it, it can help. It, here's the way in which you can live and become more in the way that you live that in the way that God sees you, can shape you into that. Now, Proverbs can help anybody grow in the areas of wisdom, discipline, and understanding. And so we go, okay, what, what's the source of all this knowledge? And, and intellectual, practical, moral, discerning, where does it all come from? And so Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, it says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. So verses 2 through 6 is going, um, here's the purpose of the book of Proverbs. And verse 7 tells us you cannot attain that type of wisdom, that type of discipline or insight apart from a correct understanding of who God is and a correct response to who God is. And so if your ultimate destination is to be wise, understanding, understanding, discerning, fair, knowledgeable of what the right thing is to do, Proverbs is going, you need to recognize who God is. It's saying the fear of the Lord is where knowledge starts or begins. And so knowledge could be understood as the way that we understand and make sense of the world that is around us. And we make decisions based off what we, we consider to be correct knowledge. 
So like, here's a hypothetical situation. You're put in charge of a church barbecue. Um, and you're looking at the weather forecast and it's like, it's calling for rain and it's like 100% chance of rain and it's like, oh, okay. These guys know what they're talking about when it comes to weather. I don't. Who am I to question them? And, and so you go, let's, let's, let's postpone the barbecue based off that forecast. Not hating on the meteorologist, but you're going, I believe this is correct knowledge. And so you make a decision in regards to that. That's how, what we do with knowledge. Now, where you begin your search for knowledge, that's essential to gaining wisdom. Like, I, I wear contact lenses, um, and if I don't have contacts in, I need to wear uh, a pair of glasses or, or I can't see. And so those, those lenses, they help me to see the world around me, help me to understand what's going on around me, because like without those lenses, everything is blurry. Like, I couldn't drive a car where I'd be like, I don't know what the speed limit is. Is that, is that a person? Is that a tree? Is that a sign? What, what is it? Like, it would just be dangerous for me to do that. And so those lenses help me to understand the world and how to respond to the world around me. And our idea of God, whatever that might be, even if we, our idea of God is that there is no God, that functions as a lens through which we see and understand the world. And so if that lens is missing, if it's flawed, the data that confronts our minds is distorted. And the data by which we make decisions and try to um, kind of construct our view of reality, that, that's skewed. And so if the lens is good, though, we've taken the first step towards proper understanding, is what Proverbs is saying. And so what we think of God is the first and foundational decision that shapes every other critical bit of knowledge we process. So what I'm kind of saying is this. Two decisions affect the way that you understand concepts and ideas, construct your ethical and moral code, and determine how you handle your obligations, your responsibilities, your freedoms. And the first question is this, whether there is a God or not. And that can be kind of put in, in, in different language. You could be like, does God exist? But whether there is a God or not, that's the first question that you, you, you have to kind of ask. And so if we believe that there is no God, we are essentially free to do whatever we want because ultimately we're not going to be held to account for any of our actions. There are no ultimate consequences. Like there's no judgment day that awaits us at the end. Now, that you eventually kind of have to ask this question, then why are we here? What's the purpose of life? And kind of, you know, Darwin and some of the other evolutionists, they would say it's, it's ultimately by chance. And your purpose comes down to trying to survive and, and propagate the species. So if everything comes down to you trying to survive and make babies, you don't have to get bothered by any of the things that you see in the world because it's the strong surviving and the weak not surviving. It's, it's kind of the survival of the fittest. But here's the thing. You, you'll see kind of the survival of the fittest playing out, and you'll go, but, but some things are just wrong. Some things are, are just evil, like people who murder, steal, abuse, do those type of things. We need, to, we need to hold them to account. But here's the thing. They're just doing what they need to do to stay alive. There's no right or wrong, there's no evil or good because there's no creator who can objectively tell us what is right and wrong. And what right do you have to tell another person that what they're doing is right or wrong? Because you're both human beings, you're on the same level. Ultimately, it's you just don't happen to agree with what they're doing. 
it, it bothers you a little bit. Now, don't worry about what you think because you can't really trust your thoughts anyways. And why do I say that? Because your brain wasn't designed for thinking. Everything that's going on up here is just chemical reactions that are making you think and do things that will help you to stay alive. But again, don't worry about any of this because your life is just kind of a, a freak accident. Things just kind of happened to work out. You're meaningless. Do whatever you want. None of this matters anyways. Like, isn't that encouraging? Like, isn't that what you kind of want? But like, if you write God out of the equation and you kind of follow that process, you kind of end in like nihilism, like life is meaningless. Life has no point. It, it ends in this depressing spot. Now, here's the thing. I, I always say, not anti-science, but when, when we take and put science as the ultimate thing, the ultimate authority in, in the hierarchy of all things, what we have to understand is that science can always tell you how, or I shouldn't say always, but can usually tell you how something works. But ultimately, it cannot tell you why something is. It's not designed to answer purpose, ultimately, in creation and in your life. Now, if you believe that there is a God, the second decision you need to make is, how do I relate to God? Is he the God the Bible describes? And if, if he is, I mean, you, you don't take that guy lightly. That, that scripture says you need to fear him. Now, I know for some of us, we hear, fear the Lord, like, I, I thought Jesus makes us cool with God. Like, I thought he brings peace. He's our father. I thought, like, the hostility is put to end. Why should I fear him? Now, I, I want to say this. The fear of the Lord is not based upon any anxiety that God is just going to have a rough day and he's going to lash out at you for no reason. It's the fear of the Lord is not God losing patience with you and just being like, man, that guy ticks me off and just, like, takes you out. That, that's not an appropriate fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord doesn't really mean that you're afraid of God and that he's going to cause you harm. But what is kind of saying this? If you view the world and your role and responsibility in it without serious regard for who God is, that he's all-powerful, that he's trustworthy, that he's righteous, then you're going to misunderstand the world and you're not going to appropriately apply knowledge. The lens is skewed, is what I'm saying. Now, some people are, will disagree, and they'll go, but, but here's the thing. I can be successful without fearing God. I can do quite well in life without recognizing who God is. And, and they're correct to a degree, because, I mean, we could all point to some successful people out kind of in, in the world or that we even know them, and like, they have no fear of the Lord at all. They're just kind of doing their own thing, and they seem to be doing quite well. We, we can all point to somebody that way. And how you handle your finances, your resources, and time, that could be different than what God says. Ethically and morally, you could live by a completely different standard than what Scripture prescribes. And I mean, you could do quite well by worldly standards. But the issue with ignoring the fear of the Lord is that it fails to recognize the reality of the situation that we're living in. It fails to recognize that we live in what is called a theocracy. That, that like regardless of who the most powerful president or prime minister or whatever it is in the world or the billionaires, whatever it is, regardless of who's at the top, ultimately at the very top, God is there. That, that he's at the very top. 
And he, he has, this is his creation. There's a certain way in which God expects us to live within his creation. Think of it this way, because like most of us, have, I know, like have heard something like this, where, where your parents would say, this is my house, and as long as you live in my house, you're going to abide by my rules. It's kind of like, here is the hierarchy. And as I said, like soon you find yourself as a parent starting to kind of say things like this. It's like, well, I'm the parent, so I kind of get to call the shots. It, it, is, it is what it is. And it's like, it's, there's a hierarchy. I, I, I'm providing the roof. I'm providing the food. You're going to kind of live by the ethic that we determine in this house. And God is a creator. He has the right to determine the ethic by which we live and so the theocracy of God, you can't outrun it. It transcends community, country, continent, the world. It goes beyond our time. It's eternal. And so what I'm saying is this. We can't just go like, I don't really like this God guy as leader. So when the next like divine election comes up, we're just going to cast our vote for some other God. It doesn't work that way. There, there's no expiry date on the theocracy and rule of God. And so the writer of Proverbs is going, if you want to live wisely and be successful in this life, but also the next, you need to recognize God for who he is and live by his commands. Like a lot of people, they find themselves in trouble because they get this mistaken idea that they are the most important person in all creation. That it's all about them. They, they get this foolish idea that they are more powerful and have more authority than they actually do. And it leads them to some dangerous places. And so the fear of the Lord is to be in awe of, to have ultimate respect for, and be realistic about the power of God. The fear of the Lord is actually a good thing. And scripture would say, it actually kind of gives you an advantage in this, this world and in the next life. It's kind of like this. The fear of the Lord is a recognition that he is the creator. You are the creature. That he is the potter you are the clay, that he is the master, you are the servant, that he is the father, you are the child, that he is the great I am, and you are not. That's, that's the fear of the Lord. And if we trust God's power and wisdom, we listen to what he says to us in, in his word. And the fear of the Lord, it's this loving reverence for God that demonstrates itself in obedience to his lordship and his commands in scripture. And it resembles this healthy relationship between a, a child and their parents. The child loves, respects, and obeys the parents. It understands the hierarchy of the relationship. That's a good thing. And the, 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 the parents, they do what's best for the child because they know what's best and they love the child. And when, when, when that hierarchy in the home gets messed up, it often leads to some pretty dysfunctional situations. You, you just can step into a home and go, man, this, this, this isn't right. And the same happens in creation when we get that hierarchy messed up. And so Proverbs, it's not just a slick formula for success that's going to help you get ahead in life. It's kingdom ethics. It's how we're to live rightly and successfully in God's creation, both now and for eternity. So again, verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so knowledge is the ability to to look at the world, to look at others, and to look at ourselves and understand why it is the way it is. Now, now here's the thing. Some of us are, are, aren't convinced that the fear of the Lord is kind of the beginning of knowledge. And um, what I want to try and do over the next little bit is kind of show, like, this is why it's important to recognize who God is in all of this. 
Because, like, again, some of us, we, we, take, and we take other things and we, we, we put it up as top. It's like, we're like, science. Science is the beginning of knowledge. And again, I'm not hating on science, but this is what we, we kind of tend to do in our place and time. And people will often accuse Christians of being narrow-minded and ignorant. That somehow our belief in God prevents us from being able to know what is true. And, and an example, like the classic example of this is creation. That when we, we talk about like where did creation come from, as, as Christians, the Judeo, uh, Judeo-Christian worldview kind of says, well, God is responsible for it. He is the creator. He's the mind behind all of the matter. But opponents of, of, of faith would say, well, you're, you're kind of simple-minded. You're a little bit naive in all of this stuff because your faith in God prevents you from being able to know the truth. You say it's kind of that great genie in the sky who's so powerful, but the thing is, um, like, you stop there and you're content, but, but we know more. We know better now. We, we've studied things. We've learned some things. And, and we know God does not exist. And so he can't be the cause. And so there must be another cause for creation. And they'll kind of go on to speculate some various theories and hypotheses about how the universe came to be. And so they believe that, that again, our faith prevents us from being able to know or discover truth because our, our bias is that there is a God. Our faith, they would say, prevents us from discovering it. That our faith that there is an uh, intelligent creator behind all things limits our ability to find correct answers to the big questions of life. They believe our belief in God inhibits our chances of ever discovering what is actually true. Now, here's the thing. If when we come to those big questions like where, where, how did creation come into existence and we just go, God did it, and they're like, but... But, but like, what happened? We go, stop asking questions. No more. It's just God did it. Stop there. I mean, we could be guilty of exactly what they're talking about. That, that our faith could be that, that thing that prevents us from actually discovering more truth and more knowledge. But here's the thing. We, we have to recognize this because often we're made to feel like, ah, oh, your, your bias prevents you from ever being, not, being able to know truth. You'll, 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 you're, it makes you dumber. But they have a bias as well. When an atheist encounters big problems, they have arbitrarily eliminated certain answers before they even began their search. Many, many scientists and historians will force themselves to come up with conclusions that leave God out of, or the supernatural out of the picture because their philosophy or their bias that there is no God demands that they do so. So think of it this way. I come into a room and there's a cake on the table and you're there as well. And I go, oh man, that cake looks delicious. Where did the cake come from? And you go, well, a baker baked it. And I go, nah. And you're like, what? I'm like, I don't believe bakers exist. And you're like, but, but it's, it's there. I'm like, yeah, but bakers don't exist. Couldn't have been the baker. I, you know what it would probably would be? Like there was some flour and there was some sugar and there's some eggs and there was some milk and it just kind of came together and and cake. <laughs> and this is often kind of what happens, whether we realize it or not, that the explanation behind some of these things, that's how they approach it. They eliminate God before they investigate, and so God could never be a part of the answer that they're going to discover. God won't be a part of the explanation for creation simply because they say God does not exist, not because there is no evidence for him. And so Paul, he, he writes in Romans chapter 1, 
He says, for God's invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. And so Paul's going and he's saying this, that, that for people who do not fear the Lord or recognize who God is and his power and his authority in all of this, they miss the whole purpose of life and are therefore fools regardless of how many things they have posted on their office wall. By writing God out of the script, they force themselves to come up with theories and hypotheses that are even more foolish than belief in God. And so here's kind of an example. Scientists are amazed by how finely tuned our universe seems to be for, for matter to exist and for, for life to even be possible. And they say that there's 122 variables that had to be precisely lined up in order for the universe to come into existence. And if any of one of those 122 variables were off by one part in a million millionth, matter could not exist. So no galaxies, no stars, no planets or people. And as Christians, we go, man, look, look at that. Like that's, that's evidence that there's an intelligent creator who set the dials just right. He created them and set them just right for this to come and, and, and be. That's intelligently designed. But if you go, God does not exist, and you have to explain this, you're forced to come up with some different theories. So skeptics have, have proposed a few different ones, but one of the ones that's a little bit more popular is, is called the multiverse theory. And I'm not talking about like Marvel movies, Doctor Strange, the, the multiverse of madness. It's not exactly like that. It it's kind of goes like this. It's highly improbable that one universe would come into existence, that all these variables would be precisely aligned for matter to come together and human life to be possible. Kind of given all that, they go, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's almost next to impossible. But they go, the odds change if you change the number of sets of dials. So instead of one set of 122 dials that have to be precisely set, what if there's millions of dials out there? The odds increase exponentially that one of those sets would work out to be finely tuned for matter to come together and human life to be um, possible. And so kind of think of it this way. I, I buy one lottery ticket. The odds of me winning the lottery are pretty slim. I go out and buy thousands upon thousands of lottery tickets, the odds increase that one of those tickets is going to be a winner. Now, a multiverse theory makes for great movie material, but here's the problem. There's not one shred of evidence that there's a multiverse. It's pure conjecture. There's no evidence. We have evidence of one universe. And so it, it asks people to believe something based on no evidence, whereas Christianity says, Believe in a powerful God, and it has evidence that there is a powerful God. And so the point behind all of this is that someone who believes in God can judge evidence on its own merit, unhindered by a bias that there is no God. Those who don't believe in God, they've already eliminated God or the supernatural from any explanation because they refuse to believe it, which impacts and limits their chances of actually finding the truth or finding knowledge. 
And so the, the ironic thing in all of this is that, that the Christian's belief that a fear of the Lord, a respect that there was a powerful God, that actually broadens the possibility for explaining that wor- the world. And it was actually from the Christian worldview that modern science came about because the government, there's an intelligent designer behind it. That means we can study it and know why things are the way they are. And so a fear of the Lord increases the chance of discovering truth because we can follow the evidence wherever it leads. And so a worldview that recognizes who God is has the greatest chance of discovering truth and knowledge which paves the way to wisdom. And so the question I want you to ask yourself is, am I going to be wise or am I going to be foolish? Like wisdom is that acquired skill of applying knowledge correctly to your life. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I think, kind of going back to where we started, I think a lot of us, if we looked at our lives, we would realize that in the areas we've been living by our own wisdom, by our own understanding, we've often done some pretty foolish things And it's had its consequences on our lives, on the lives of those we love. And some of those consequences, they're minor, but others are severe. And so what what scripture, what God asks you to believe is that there's a God who made you, a God who loves you, a God who knows you, and a God who wants what is best for you, and a God who asks that you would trust him. And maybe it's time that you you change where you begin your search for knowledge. And so I would just encourage you, identify one area in your life in which you've been living according to your own wisdom, your own understanding, and see where it hasn't been working out and commit yourself to, to living according to the wisdom, the knowledge of God's word, and see what happens there.